0: everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillan. and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy, well, I guess if you're listening to this, happy uh, end of college basketball season, uh, Although I figure most people aren't super happy about it, but at least we got a memorable Final Four and hopefully a memorable national championship game last night, you tell us. Yeah. Um,
0: Congratulations to insert team here. Um, Note, I hate both of these schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have anything against Gonzaga, <laughs> so I'm I'm going to be rooting for the Zags. Uh,
0: no, I am too, just because I don't want Baylor to have anything.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's at different levels. Um, and then, uh, happy baseball season. Now, the, I am currently watching the Mets in the second inning of their first game, finally, we're finally allowed to play after the Nationals <laughs> ducked us like cowards.
0: <laughs> now everyone gets Mets talk for the next six months. <laughs> <laughs> have, have fun.
1: Because now we're, actually, now we're
0: actually, because now we're going to be insufferable and maybe good instead of insufferable oh. and usually
1: bad. Just wait till the Nets and Knicks are both in the playoffs for so the first time. I think in the run of this podcast, somehow, <laughs> maybe second time.
0: I feel like it happened
1: probably the very first year, maybe, but uh, who knows?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll fact check that for the uh, for the notes um, portion of the uh, the write up. But yeah, you might be right <laughs> since the Knicks. Ball- la- like, what
1: was the Knicks' last playoff run?
0: 13-14.
1: Okay, and that's... I feel like we're also in it that year, because that was, like, the Darren Williams just-moved-to-Brooklyn teams. I think we played in the playoffs. No, we didn't. We played in, like, the Jason Kidd times in the playoffs once. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a rarity in any case, especially in these, this era of Knicks basketball. The Nets are, are you know, in and out. Um, but, yeah, so, this, so we're going to have some, some really uh, just barely relevant non-Syracuse talk uh, for a while now. So that's what you get in the summer.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I, I mean, considering how much Syracuse talk this podcast has gone from like mostly shenanigans, some Syracuse talk and a lot of like random nonsense to, I'd say like 98% Syracuse talk. And it's still going to be pretty high. Uh, but in Italy in the off season, like there's only so far we can dive into lacrosse teams every week, but we're going to figure things out. I was thinking, I was thinking up different guest ideas uh, so segment ideas, um, maybe like some, you know, random like realignment themed ideas, because uh, that's always like a fun topic.
1: If the basketball team wants to spread out their transfers in and out over the next like, couple of months, that'd be good. Because like we're going to end up with like 11 or 12 different transfers in either direction. So if we can just do like one a week for a while, that'll <laughs> that'll carry us.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good news cycle. I've been <laughs> and like like on only getting kids from SB Nation blogs, so it's very easy for me to find someone to to do a Q and A with. That would be ideal.
1: I thought both of those were really good. I I, I uh, it's funny. I, I I came away with the expectations for Swider a little bit. Uh, not like doused. I kind of knew who he was, but like very much put in check. And then I came away from the or Torrance one being like, you know what? I think he could be more of a, like, probably not a huge impact player, but, like, a, more of a contributor than I thought. So uh, I thought it was both valuable insights from the, the Marquette and Villanova folks.
0: Yeah, we'll get into those a bit. I know that on the live cast, uh, Steve, Christian, and Andy have talked about this stuff a bit, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit, um, the return to Barama Sidibe, um and some other just, like, kind of what we're looking for in the transfer market and uh, recruiting for the rest of the year, of off-season. Um, before we continue that, I uh, did want to update on that uh, – Playoff question: 2013 uh, was the last time both teams participated in the NBA playoffs. the The Nets lost the Bulls in seven games in the first round. Oh, that
1: was that was a terrible series. I went to that series. I went to a, a blowout win in that series with a Bulls fan
0: fan friend. <laughs> the Knicks, on the other hand, uh, lost what I still to this day claim is a rigged uh, conference semifinal series to the Pacers. Wow. Uh, Forty-two. The, the,
1: Roy Hibbert, dominant force.
0: <laughs> just, just pure outrage. Was was not enjoyable, and, and that was the peak of the uh, Staten Mellow years somehow.
1: So the question is, were we doing the podcast yet? It was either like right yeah. at the beginning or right no, before? Yeah, no, we definitely were. I think that was the first year, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah that was – well, yeah. I mean, 2013, we were either just starting it or – so it might not have – like it might have started like around when like that play, those playoff runs were happening.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. So I think we started it that summer.
0: Yeah, like right before we we started in,
1: in, in, impure nonsense time to really we, we we live as we were born
0: well we just basically shit talked every ACC team all summer and then joined the league <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to just set up you know what what was to come and, and every ACC fan base should have known
1: just a uh, really really great way to start although I guess we were coming off a of final four so it was like prime time for it
0: well, Final Four, we were coming off um, a Texas Bowl, Texas Bowl win, and we had just thought that the good times would just continue to roll because why wouldn't they?
1: Scott Schaefer has it all going. Why? Actually, no, why, that was why, not
0: why? coming off Texas Bowl. That was coming off a Pinstripe Bowl when we actually did think the good times even better. Roll.
1: Well, Stach Schaefer still, we we're you know, don't no. we, we? He's gonna keep it rolling. Who interim coaches always work out? There's <laughs> no Allen. way to
0: future all star Drew Allen. There's, there's Drew no Allen no from Oklahoma.
1: All the Sooner Sands loved him because no one ever likes backup quarterbacks. So that was a, a good sign.
0: I kind of want to listen. I, I might do this. It's important Summers. Listen to the first episode and let, like under the new format with you and me and, and like just pick apart each like point.
1: <laughs> oh God! I don't want to listen to myself from seven years ago. That's no, I'm not going to do that.
0: No, I'm I'm not going to oh. do that to myself. I'm gonna I'm literally just gonna find grab the points from the podcast and then and then debate them here and now and show how wrong oh, wrong or right we might have been.
1: Oh God! I thought you meant you wanted to like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, our old
0: podcast. Oh, hell no! I know I I never <laughs> I it, full disclosure I never listened to this podcast other than like when uh, I'm
1: editing. I will listen the few times I'm not on, I'll go and listen after. Or if I, if i there've been a few times where someone told me I said something that I don't remember saying, and I'll go back and try to figure out what they're talking about, but that's very few and far between.
0: So, yeah, I did want to talk about the transfer stuff a little bit. Uh, Samir Tor- Torrance uh, comes from Marquette. He didn't really put up an impressive stat line at all um, at Marquette, but did come in as a pretty highly rated recruit, uh, four-star guy. and, and, it just didn't work out for him as a shooter, but it did seem like, based on what the uh, Anonymous Eagle, the uh, Marquette Espionation blog said, uh, has some pretty good court vision, like a pure point guard, and maybe someone who, like, you know, not to like guess it up too much. I mean, the guy didn't play a ton at Marquette, so I'm not like anointing him as savior, but maybe someone who could, you know, split some minutes uh, with Girard, at least right now, um, at the one uh be a little m- more of a distributor, um, someone who can create opportunities for other players. Like to me, that's something that we've definitely lacked um of late. Like Kadary Richmond did that to some extent, but uh and that's not to knock Kadari Richmond, who I think was a great player, um, in, in the one year he got to play at SU. I think that um at Torrance just might be like really like a pass first point guard uh, who's able to, you know, create some opportunities, maybe um plug in as a capable defender. And like that could be enough um, for us, provided we have enough playmakers. Um, and obviously we don't know that yet because we don't know who else is transferring the program.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the lineups look like. We, we, on paper, we should have enough shooting to surround and, and we don't know if they won't be a great shooter. Like He actually shot the ball really like, quite well until this year, and he just could not hit a shot to save his life this year. Um, shot like 14% from three. But I think he was like 38% the year before. So it was like a really weird precipitous drop. Um, I'm willing to like take some time and, and, and hear like what, or, and see like what he looks like after when he actually gets here. I know Anonymous Siegel hinted at it being like maybe a confidence issue in terms of the quick hook he had. Um, they, I mean, not honestly, it was kind of funny to read though, because it's not unlike what we get here a lot. Um, you know, going to the veteran guards, playing them 35, 36 minutes. Uh, those were like the dominant players for the team. And he just was kind of behind them and didn't get a chance to like, really stretch himself out and get like uh, acclimated to playing on the court. So um, I'm certainly willing to see what he can provide in the offensive end. But if, if, if the the floor for him is just like, he's going to step in, he's going to be probably by default, our best defensive guard, um, which is apparently like his real plus still. And then also just keeps the offense rolling, especially when we will have the ability to put three or four shooters around him at all times, uh, especially with some of the additions we've made. Um, Then I, I think it's, 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 you know, a nice, uh, a nice add to what we have. Uh, obviously, if Tadari says he wants to back tomorrow, uh, we're certainly taking him. He does not replace him. Um, but even if Tadari, like, if, if today wasn't even in the transfer portal and it was just like, hey, this guy can give us some minutes on the defensive end and, like, be, like, a, a decent, uh, won't stop the offense player at the point guard position, give us some minutes, like, I don't think it would have been the worst thing to add him even in that situation, so. Oh, yeah, um, I would have been
0: more, I would have been even more excited, to be honest, And, and that Yeah, then
1: it's, then it's building depth, so um yeah i'm all for it obviously a local die which which you know people are excited about um i think it's a nice it's like a plus but it's not like the reason you take him um but also like you can't overlook the fact that bayheim's familiar with him because of that he played uh uh in different levels with both buddy and joe so there's going to be a lot of familiarity with dies already on the team um so yeah so i I hope that he works out uh at, at worst i think he'll be a nice role player. And I think that's all we're going to ask him to be. So it's not going to be like he's coming in to be the local hero to save the day on top of the other local heroes we already have in the team.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we definitely don't need any more of those uh, based on our, uh, our, our folk hero uh, storytelling abilities um, as a fan base. I, I do think that, you know, Cole Swider is another one. And I, I think your, your take was pretty accurate. After hearing from VU Hoops, um, I think you know, Chris Lane over there provided some great um, insights. I think a lot of people are projecting him as a Leiden type, and I think he can be, but I don't think he's going to be the same type of defender by any means. Uh, I, I don't think he's necessarily um, as athletic as, as Chris mentioned. I, I think where he could be really good, though, is as another guy who can shoot from outside. Maybe he's able to get drive the lane a little bit more, uh, become a bit more effective um, getting inside. Because ultimately, like, and I think, you know, Beheim and and the staff obviously see this is like you don't necessarily need another guy who's going to camp out on the wing no matter who's back um because buddy has progressed but he's still largely going to be a guy um, who's going to be outside the arc gerard camps almost exclusively outside the arc um if griffin comes back he's another guy who spent a lot of time um on the offensive end at least you know kind of hanging out outside uh, the three-point line so I don't necessarily think we need somebody else who's only going to do that. But you look at the guy who's like 6'9, 215, um, you know, in, in Swider and, and, and a guy who, you know, SU recruited pretty heavily the first time around. We were disappointed that we didn't get him um, a couple of years ago. Like he seems like someone who, again, if we don't put the world on his shoulders and we only ask him to play, you know, maybe it's 20 to 25 minutes, maybe he's getting, um, you know, Braswell's minutes basically. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the same defender as Braswell by any means, but if he gets like Braswell's minutes to some extent, like if we're only quote unquote asking him to do that, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing at all.
1: It's going to be a lot to ask him to fill in the same way Braswell and did on defense. I think by the end of the year, Braswell was like maybe our best wing defender. Yeah. Um, and it's and even if he was like a plus athlete, which I, it doesn't sound like he's a great athlete. Um, asking him to do that in the first year in the zone is going to be tough. Uh, although he will hopefully have a full summer here. Um, and he's a veteran player, so hopefully he'll pick it up quicker than than most players. But, um, yeah, I think the zone also we've seen, like, some less great athletes, It, it not hide them, but, like, it, it mitigates some of the disadvantage they are versus Villanova, which plays that super fast switchy system, which sounds like it was a really bad system for him at the end of the day defensively. Um, where I think he could thrive is, I mean, his offensive rating uh, and his offensive efficiency is, like, through the roof this year uh, or was through the roof this year um if he's obviously we can't just have him camping out as you said we have a lot of those guys but if he's a guy where like buddy uh takes the ball off uh and is like driving to the wing and then starts kicking it out like he started too late in the year like i think we're gonna have a lot of wide open pull spider uh corner threes where hopefully he just shoots like 45 percent and is lethal from there spreads the offense i think there are situations where either he or assuming and this is still an assumption because he is not committed at all uh, Jimmy Bayheim is here and is playing uh, forward slash like really small ball center. Like, we could see some really small five out, like crazy shooter lineups. I don't know that we'll see a lot of them because Bayheim isn't that experimental when it comes to his lineups, but I bet we'll see it a little bit because he did get a little weird with it this the end of this year. So
0: we'll see um, it against like Niagara or something at least. he'll experiment here. Yeah. I like, mean, like, how, how, yeah, like, we'll do it.
1: I, it would be really fun to see uh, Gerard, uh, double Bayheim, uh, Benny Williams, Swider lineup where it's just, like, craziness. The problem is, like, we don't have... That would have been a lineup from where Tadari Richmond thrived, because it would be five out, and he could just take the ball to the hoop at will. Right. But, um, you know, I don't want to harp on Tadari, like, the entire offseason. Like, it's still very disappointing. And obviously, he hasn't gone anywhere yet, so there is still a glimmer of hope, even though it doesn't sound like a, it's super realistic. Zero chance. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that Bayham's like, good luck to him. It's like, all right, well, I guess we know what's happening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, like act like, you know, nothing possible can happen next year because he's leaving. But uh, it, it, it's a little disappointing that like going four out with him would have been ideal. But we also don't know who else we get this offseason. I would still love us to get a point guard more of that ilk, like a to uh, drive the ball, um, uh, finish at the rim, uh, kind of like Canary is uh, type point guard. Now, who knows who we get involved with and who knows who even enters the, the uh, transfer portal from here since there's still like plenty of time and it's it's been kind of a barrage already. So... We shall see. It, we've also, like, we've been very quiet in terms of, like, the guys we've gotten involved with. Like, I think the only two we know we've reached out to are the two we got. So, it sounds like Beheim's really, like, targeted the guys he thinks he can get and who he wants. Um, it hasn't been like we've been flooding the market with, like, he's, we're hearing about Beheim talking to, like, these nine guys. So, oh, yeah, these uh, guys with
0: pre-existing relationships, really.
1: Yes, which I, I get to a point. Like, you, you don't want to waste a lot of time um but i i will be interested to see if we get a little more aggressive uh with some other guys because i think i don't think there's a position where we couldn't take someone like there's plenty there's plenty of uh there's plenty of positive minutes in a it's not like anyone except for buddy really and probably benny honestly just through being a five-star high-profile guy uh should be like super locked into their spots at this point so we'll see what happens
0: yeah i definitely agree there and like right now like knowing what we do know um we mentioned buddy joe um you know, we have the two transfers. Um, Jesse Edwards is back. Uh, we probably have Jimmy in the door if I had to guess. But then Barama Sidibe uh, said he's coming back today, which is good if he can stay healthy. I think if he could stay healthy, then we actually have something pretty interesting next year um, in, in the kind of true center that we didn't necessarily have last year. I think some people believe that, you know, this kind of put, uh, puts Frank Anselm's uh, future in doubt because if he decides he wants to go, honestly like I don't think it does that necessarily um if only because I I do think that like I wish Frank had played more this past year to be honest um and we still don't know about Woody Newton I think he ends up transferring but we don't know that yet Frank could end up being more of a like four and I, I think from from all accounts like it seemed like he was somebody who had a little more offensive upside like having having him and Sidibe play at the same time or Bay and Edwards play at the same time, like could create some interesting lineup combinations. I don't necessarily think that, that Bay and Edwards coming back means that uh, Anselm is automatically gone uh, necessarily. So we'll see there. I, I think that it'd be great to have somebody else back. I mean, if Quincy comes back, then I, I think all bets are off and you see a much different lineup and, and actually a pretty good team uh, with transfers, but um i'm definitely i really do hope that with david coming back we get to see him on the court because it really in the times that we have seen him play like consistent minutes he's been good and like fairly effective
1: yeah i i was impressed with him the the little we saw from him this year and i also hope that this does not mean he's not coming back obviously he sent the tweet that that quickly deleted and he claims it, it'd be weird to like send that tweet delete it uh claim it wasn't what people everyone thought it meant and then also still transfer like at that point just don't say anything. Um, but, like, like, at first, I was, like, I'm, I'm happy Barama's coming back. I think Barama, uh, when he's healthy, is an effective player. I think just knowing that we have two centers, for the first time, I can't even remember the last time we had two really, like, you know, you don't have to worry about one of these guys being in centers uh, who can play all 40 minutes total. Um, it's just a really Ayo, nice Ayo
0: and Rick Jackson.
1: <laughs> honestly, it might be. Because, like, the last time I felt really great about our center position was probably the last routine year, but he was really the only guy. And he was playing like 30 to 32 minutes a game. But he was the entire
0: out. team pretty much. Right.
1: So it wasn't like there was a great backup. Like when he was out, we were just like kind of figuring it out. Um, this would be like, you know, you play them 25-15, 20-20. I think they're both different players, him and Jesse. Um, then like Frank, I, I think when, when, even when we recruited him, there was like thought that he might be like a smaller five, but even like a bigger four. We've seen us play those uh, two big man type lineups with AO and Rick before and be effective. Even if Rick wasn't like the, like exactly what you think of as a, like your, your typical four, um, in the zone, I think Frank fits that more. He's super long and athletic. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that, I hope that Bayheim tell, tells him, Hey, obviously he, he was, you know, he had injury issues and health issues, um, this year. So it wasn't like he was just getting held out cause he couldn't play this year. But I, I hope that like, we're saying we're going to try a bunch of different lineups and you are much different than the other fours we have on the roster. So it's not like just because we have these two centers here means you'll never play because hopefully there's some minutes at multiple positions. I think that would benefit everybody involved because, you know, you want to, if you're a player, you want to be as uh, diverse. Uh, you want to have as diverse, a skill set and uh, ability to play as you can just to, to give yourself more opportunities to get on the floor so and i'm just pro pro depth on the syracuse team that always uh always shows so much of it throughout the year
0: <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah i uh I, I think for me we can talk about this a little bit after halftime uh for me i, I think i want to see a point guard push joe but i i want somebody who like pushes joe into like a cool six-man role that i think you and i discussed before like he would could potentially thrive in um as like an energy guy and I, I'd rather someone who was like a, a legit like, you know, P5 starting caliber point guard in there who played similar to Kadari uh, in large part, uh, because I think Joe could be more effective and really more dangerous um, a, a, as a six man. I think if Griffin's gone, I'd like someone to kind of fill in that spot and, and maybe it's wider, but ideally you're not putting all that on him. Um, I think Benny Williams is, is going to kind of play somewhere in that three or four a uh, spot, which could be good. I think depending on who else leaves, it, it would be great to bring in, you know, a, a legit um, center. A- and I think, you know, to be honest, like a, a, a lethal like kind of like shooting wing um, behind, you know, Buddy. I mean, that's really the, the one problem. And I think this is what is going to run into a bit this off season is how many 2022 kids, like from a high school prospect standpoint, are you going to be able to bring um, in? you have room for several, uh but at the same time like they know they're probably like at least a few of them or know they're going to be stuck behind um you know existing players and especially with the zone like you're going to be stuck behind guys like buddy um potentially gerard even if we have some reservations there um sidibe like th- there's definitely names in front of you so if you are one of the top 2022 guys and i feel like we faded on a lot of those guys at this point unfortunately like d- do you want to pick su if you feel like you have some nba um talent and 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 you feel like the depth chart's kind of already closed to you
1: yeah and this is what we said after the today news like with that that release which obviously beheim denied uh which we all know he would even if it's true um that uh that today is basically told there was no opportunity to be the starter next year like that just makes it really hard to um bring someone in who wants to start right away and that's what a lot of these guys want like whether or not they're able to do it when they get there is one thing but you want to at least like keep the doors open um, and I also agree, obviously, on Gerard. Like, I think he would be much better suited as an energy guy off the bench. He's much better off the ball. Um, he's much better when there are multiple ball handlers on the court and he doesn't have to take that all on himself. Um, whether he was playing with Kadari or, or, uh, you know, whomever, like mostly Kadari cause that was like the main ball handler, but also when Marek was taking off m- more of the offensive playmaker role, like I thought he just played a lot better in that role. And it's a, it's not about us, like not wanting Gerard to play. It's about us wanting Gerard to play in the positions in which he's most effective. So yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to close anything off. Um. And that's, you know, a lingering concern uh, with this whole situation, especially with so many moving parts.
0: 100%. So, Dan, I figured we'd do a little halftime here. Uh, So what have you been drinking?
1: It was uh, mostly Connecticut stuff uh, because I was back home for a couple days. Um, Had uh, a couple different things from Two Roads. Had their two juicy IPA, which is, uh, as you expect, very, very, very juicy. Uh, Quite good. Had some of the Road to Ruin. Had some different stuff that uh, was still over my parents from – uh half full their north stanford uh, homestead series uh had uh a couple of other things that i have in the uh rowlers from the last couple of weeks so not a ton of like brand new stuff but just getting through uh some of the stuff i have on hand here and uh back in connecticut but i will be i'll be upstate this weekend new york uh up in the capital region so we'll have some some stuff to report on from there
0: hopefully you get to uh get over to uh what's it called uh, suarez
1: Ooh, I didn't think about that. I should I should uh see if we can make a stop.
0: Swar of all like I was I went to a few when I was over there a couple summers ago and Suarez, I mean I I already had some Suarez family before, but yeah, Suarez family would definitely be the, the top pick in my book. But um Suarez so, is always excellent. Oh yeah. I mean their pills I mean like I love Pilsers out here, but like Pilsers are very good. Their pale ales, IPAs are all like fantastic. They just do some great work. And it's a cool tap room. Um I don't know how like much seating they have, if any, right now. But I'm sure you can at least swing in for some beer. Yes, I so will see uh, if we can get over there. Indeed. Um, on my end, had a few different things. I had a nico Kingdom. Uh, it's a pineapple goza from uh, Modern Times. It was very good. Um, I had Dinosaur World from Modern Times. Uh, Hazy Double IPA, uh, extremely good uh, from them. I've had it before. They brew it every year. Um, I'd argue it's one of their best beers and they have like so many good ones, but, uh, Citra, Amarillo and Mosaic, um, beer. So just, again, extremely good hazy, uh, actually like doesn't have any of that like bitterness and like, uh, the heartburn inducing, um, you know, stuff that, uh, that usually draws me away from them, uh, had from modern times. Also the Demon Hand, it's a, uh, dark lager, so a dark lager that they, uh, had a, they put for three months in uh, one of their uh, oak fetters. And so they end up like with a barrel aged stout, uh, like kind of flavor profile, but without the alcohol content that goes with that. Uh, so, really, really excellent beer there. Um, actually, got to go out to dinner for the first time in over a year. Uh, had some dinner outside, had um, Chief Peak IPA from Topa, Topa Brewing out here, and then a uh, Hazy Dreams from Abnormal Beer Company down in San Diego. For Modern Times, it had uh, So Good, just a standard American lager that they had uh, brewed up recently. And that was it. A decent list. Good work. Good work. Yeah, now, now, I basically have the second half of all of those four packs um, in the fridge. So next week's not going to be the same variety necessarily. But some other things, Dan, I know obviously like there's plenty going on um, for Syracuse still. Um, before we like, you know, do a little bit about the lacrosse team's uh, recent struggles. It uh, looks like Ed Hendricks is no longer a Syracuse student. There's no indication that he's no longer a Syracuse player just yet. Um, well, one
1: thinks of... those, those two things go hand in hand, though. Typically, he... uh,
0: well, well, there is the, like, like, you could have maybe taken the semester off for COVID, but then, yeah, then you're coming back this summer, like way behind any, like, playbook installation, stuff like that. And obviously a guy like Hendricks, um, who, you know, in several years, has not really been on the field uh, much at all, except to get into a collision with Andre Sisco. Like it doesn't necessarily help you become like a a key target and a guy that like, you know, came as a four-star, seemed like a a guy who could really be a great outside uh, receiving option. And now it seems like at least according to like some of the early practice notes that um, guys like Damian Damian Alford and uh, Javante Williams um, have at least like sort of ascended into those roles along with Anthony Quigley and Taj Harris.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating because we were very excited about Hendricks uh, coming in. Um, he was a uh, you know borderline four-star guy and we've really struggled. Uh, we talked about it a couple, couple months ago, I think after the football season, like we've had our share of those type of players come into the program and our hit rate on them is just extremely very low. low. And it, between, like, getting them on campus and also having them succeed once they're here. And it's one of those things where, like, you really wonder. And it's not just Babers. Like, it's been going on since, Everybody. like, honestly, Marone was here. Um, if, even, before, even Robinson. And, yeah, I mean, goes without yeah. saying Robinson as well. <laughs> but, like, it's one of those things where you wonder just, like, what it is if it's, if it's like, uh, something about those players not quite living up because and that's a part of the reason why we got them. But even so, even if they were, like, not quite a four star, but like maybe a high three star. Like that's really still a really useful player for us. And like I was going through them today, and it's like, uh, and I know we had a list at some point a couple months ago that it's was like somewhere. more, more substantial about this at some point. But like, if the hit rate was even like a third, and by like hit, I don't mean like like bo- like bona fide NFL player. I mean like player who was like a useful starter for at least a year or two. <laughs> it's it's extremely low and disconcerting and again i don't want to pin this all on babers because it goes way before him um so yeah just very uh very unfortunate like uh tadir white again another one in recent years also didn't pan out at all i don't even think he saw the field really for us well, um Lee
0: Pogba might end up on this list too he
1: could michael jones has been good and he be he's on gonna be a...
0: because he's not with the, currently with pro well with the team he's suspended indefinitely at the moment
1: Yes, that would also be bad. I still like. Hopefully, have hope that he'll get it better because mm-hmm. he, he's at least like we haven't seen enough from him or he hasn't been hurt. Like it's it's kind of like an availability thing with him. So hopefully he can rebound, get himself back in good standing with the team, and and figure it out. But uh, yeah, just another just really unfortunate. Like we just cannot seem to figure it out when we get these these quote unquote most talented players in our program on campus. It's it's just been disappointing. So not great when like you, you, you stretch and claw to get these kind of recruits and then just can't develop them up. Whoever's fault it is. Like, I don't, it's, it's obviously a case by case thing. So it's hard to just like slap a label on it. When also like we bring in these two, you know, we have plenty of kids who were nothing recruits and end up being really good. So it's not like we just don't, we can't develop anybody. It's, it's just, uh, I don't know. It obviously the evaluations in general are, are flawed, but I think they've just generally like on a macro level are are pretty good. Like if you look at, the NFL draft, uh, everyone always talks about when someone was a two-star recruit who ends up at the max school, but the majority of the people who are doing at the top of the draft, um, especially when you compare to like, there's a lot more three stars and four stars, like the four and five stars end up being better per capita by a decent yeah, total. margin. So people obviously like, it's a, it's a good story when an unrecruited guy turns into a, uh, an NFL star. But if you just like do the percentages, a much higher percentage of the blue chip players become great. So it's disappointing when we just can't have any of that work out for us, um, so yeah, hopefully uh hopefully whatever whatever needs to be solved there, hopefully it happens because it's very frustrating i it's so It's so like a case by case thing that it's hard to even ascribe like exactly what the blame is
0: yeah i I definitely agree there. I think you know there it, it, it just i mean not, not there's, there's nothing like nefarious at, at fault here. I just think it's weird that you you, you look at the lack of success rate. And, and I mean, and even adding up, like, this isn't really even counting, like, all the, like, swings and misses on Schaefer's end, which, like, the only thing he really had going for him from a talent acquisition standpoint was that he was willing to kind of, you know, take big swings on guys who who were qualification risks and and, and guys that he felt were, like, you know, kind of either, like, passed up by the system or or, or things like that. And, like, just, just guys who weren't going to be able to pull it off, but he wanted to see if they could because the, you get an Ohio state caliber player basically on the cheap because Ohio state wasn't going to take the risk on him because they knew they could get 17 other guys who were also a four-star safety. Um, and, and I think, you know, this isn't even counting those situations that also didn't work out. Uh, so it, it, it's definitely been rough. Um, and, and realistically, you know, like th- this, isn't, this isn't a, an SU talent evaluation issue either. Like, um, like Schaefer did identify talent well and his staff did identify talent pretty well, um, early on. And a lot of their, you know, their recruiting for, for years was used as, um, you know, fodder for bigger programs to kind of copy. And SU was clearly doing something right when they hired Ryan Bartow a couple of years ago. Um, and Barto's now at Florida state, uh, because people identified once again, that like Syracuse is pretty good at identifying this talent and they're doing it again here where you're seeing, Um, like I was doing some work on the 2022, uh, like targets today. And you see these guys that like months ago had like, it was like Syracuse, Yale, Air Force, and like, uh, you know, Dartmouth were like the only places that it offered them. And now like they have an LSU offer, a Miami offer, and like a Bama offer. (laughs) Like Syracuse has been able to, for years, like been able to evaluate talent well up front. Um, and it just, yeah, it's, it's frustrating that a lot of the top level talent that does make it to campus doesn't work out, but I do think some of that is turning around a little bit when you look at a guy like Trill, uh, Cisco was a higher three-star guy who like those that saw him play knew that he was pretty talented. Um, Melifanwu was a guy who, um, you know, didn't necessarily get that the high, high marks, um, coming out of high school, but obviously turned into something else. And I, I think you're going to see some of that start to turn around here, but, um, at the same time, like certain positions, uh, offensive of line um, and wide receiver in particular that just like haven't worked out.
1: And that's where it's hurt because like it's been positions where we've struggled. Like when you did a dial like Kadir White, you hope that he's going to become, and we knew he was a developmental player and it wasn't going to happen overnight, but you hope that he's going to become like the anchor left tackle for at least two or three seasons and to not have him be able to play at all, I think is really disappointing. So um, yeah, it's just hopefully, hopefully we turn it around, but it's also like, again, You you can't always fault the staff. You can fault the staff for not developing those individual players, but they develop plenty of others. So obviously they're doing something right, at least in certain situations. You can't blame the services for for overhyping these guys because they nail, I'd say, most of the guys now, at least like a good portion of them. So it's just, you know, I don't know if it's bad luck (laughs) or what it is, but... Uh, it's certainly frustrating and that's not to say we shouldn't ever recruit blue chip players anymore because that's how you dig yourself into a farther into a, uh, a talent hole um, and then you get guys like trill williams who were really good players for us for three years and you, i want more trill Williamses, as many trills as, as we can get um
0: we, we might but... get more who knows now if, if all honestly if all three get picked in the top hundred um coming up and if like if deuce chestnut ends up turning into something really good in year one and i think he might have the opportunity to do that. And you look at all the other guys still on campus. Garrett Williams. Um, Yeah. Like Garrett Williams in particular, who could be like all conference and preseason. Like there's, it starts at one. And we talked about this a little bit before, like it it starts at one position group where, where if you establish notoriety for one position group, and in our case, this could be defensive backs. Like this used to be Virginia tech's thing. And like a few other schools thing, like Miami has done this, Florida state's done this. Like if, if you, if you bank on, uh, defensive backs, and, and and you're hearing it when you read the interviews with with all the current targets. Um, the same thing with the guys last year that were coming in, like um, the, the success and the ball hawking that that this that this system and the previous system were were, were preaching um, for guys like Cisco and Melifanwu and getting out Garrett Williams and Trill and, and like and even like Evan Foster, like who you know was getting opportunities at the NFL uh, despite not even having like that great of a senior year. Like the system is working and it's putting guys on NFL radars. Um, and, and that's, that's resonating more and more. And you look at the caliber, like I was, again, I was going through the 2022 targets today. Like you look at the caliber of player that we're offering. like, we're, we're going up against, but like we haven't won them yet necessarily, but we're going up against the Alabamas and Clemsons um, and Ohio States and Oklahoma's and and, and other schools of the world um, for these guys. And we definitely, you see at that position group versus others uh, where we definitely elevated the level of player that we're willing to kind of get into it uh, with.
1: Yeah, and that's the position group to start. Honestly, quarterbacks one A, and like yeah. we're starting to see some movement there with bringing Garrett Schrader. Um, hopefully, an increased uh, recruiting. And I think we we've kind of turned that position uh, room around in a hurry because it was a major concern uh, that you know don't, don't have to go back that far to remember. Um, hopefully, obviously, Tommy turns around this year. Another one of our former four-star recruits. Um, But then corner cornerback, defensive back. I think maybe offensive line and that are like the second tier of importance. Uh, So maybe throw in defensive line just because of the scarcity. Um, But like if you if you were really defensive backfield, defensive backfield, even that we had like this past season, most years you're going to be in pretty good shape. Obviously we went one in ten, which is kind of difficult to do when you have like two obviously sister players. Yeah, sister was hurt for a large percentage of the season um i don't know if we would have like won an extra game or two with him probably not honestly maybe one um
0: we won know, the only game we won was without him
1: yes that was the game he got hurt right he got hurt before
0: um
1: yeah so like maybe he pits up a pass in one of these games and turns it around but it's hard to know like the impact of one guy but in any case like if you have that much talent in the defensive backfield in a passing oriented sport now like you're in good shape. So I guess, I guess like you want to trust the process over results there, but um, I do love what we're building in that position group because it's, it's impressive and it's a tough place that's tough to develop that much talent. Like that off, off the line, I think there's a lot of guys just got to get the right ones. I think, I think honestly, cornerback and defensive tackle are probably the hardest places to recruit besides quarterback, like really good players. Yeah. So to like lock up that position for a couple of years running now and, and develop meaningful depth, which we did last year, if nothing else, that's a a good, a good starting point.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, So I think that's it for football, at least this week, Uh, Dan, before we go, I did want to just talk quick about lacrosse. I know ending on a sour note, unfortunately, Yeah. Uh, two rough games this weekend. Uh, Men's lacrosse team got off to a pretty nice start against Notre Dame Um, ended up getting, uh, you know, stomped into hell. Uh, by an 18 to 11 score that was not ideal Um, and then the women's lacrosse team stomped even further into hell uh, 17 to 6 after a hot start for them as well Uh, this is rough it was the first loss for the women's team so I think that uh, they're in a good spot to be able to bounce back Uh, the men's team uh, they've lost games before It, it, it is what it is they've lost games this year before obviously but uh you are starting to see there's like a little bit of an issue uh i mean face-offs are not just a little issue it's a large issue and we've seen face-off issues plague this program before but it's face-offs um and 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 then for some reason a team with a lot of offensive firepower just can't seem to 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 just put the ball on net enough um and and a lot of that comes back to face-offs i think defensively too there's been a lot of breakdowns um that's incredibly disappointing like i I kind of said it on slack uh within the you know noons chat that we have like i I'm really bummed because I feel like last year was such a missed opportunity, and I think you're already seeing the, the opportunity to avenge that kind of slip away this year. Um, we just end up with like a bit of a lost season while the women's team I think still has a very very real chance um to compete for a national title, even if you know I mean if they face North Carolina, no, but anybody else maybe.
1: Yeah, it's it's been tough because, like, there are some of these games where they looked so dominant, and then you had uh, the Duke game, which, like, was an incredible game, um, but really disappointing with how it ended. And then this past week where it just seems like they get in these ruts mid-game where they fall behind by four or five goals, they can't win a face-off, um, they just kind of lose fundamentals on defense, can't hit a ground ball, uh, that, are, that are troubling. Um, I don't know how you kind of break out of that thing where you're giving up four or five goals in quit succession and, and, and burying yourself into these big holes. Obviously against Duke, we, we got ourselves out of it and then lost at the end Notre Dame and army earlier in the year uh, could not overcome it, but um, it does seem like we're not quite at that high level. I think we can beat those teams and a given, a given game, but the consistency isn't there. Um, So yeah, it's just, uh, it's just tough because I, it felt like we were in those games for, you know, so long especially Notre Dame was obviously got out of hand a little a little sooner but you, you also can't go giving out five or six goals of a like they did in both of those games and expect to like just crawl yourself out of crawl yourself out of it every time like so yeah just uh it's tough but hopefully by the end of the year we're we're kind of developing some some answers to those things but uh overall like right now it doesn't it doesn't sound like we have quite recaptured the magic of the uh 2020 national championship run
0: uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i it, it, you know of course like it's always the the tendency with su lacrosse in particular to like extrapolate out a couple losses into like desco doesn't have it anymore this program's not where it was like a lot changed things about the sport i'm not going to say that that means su can never compete for an national title again i don't think that's the case like you know again su was probably one of the top two to three teams in the country last year um i think this year i, I think they're maybe a rung below that Uh, but the right matchups in the tournament, like it doesn't really take much to get yourself to the final four if you're capable. And I think this team is talented enough to go. Um, I I, I think that really the, the, you can only go. So, I mean, it's a testament to like how good that team was in what was 14 when we lost the Duke. Um, Yeah. Like how, how, yeah. How good that team, what was talented wise, coaching wise, everything like execution wise, the fact that a team that could not do anything, um, you know, at the dot was still able to, um almost win the national championship that year um and then you look at a team like this obviously the sports changed a bunch even just since then um there may be like a step below that um but if they can again fix some of the issues um with faceoffs i think you see this team go right back to you know that short list of like five to seven teams that can win a national title uh this season even
1: yeah i agree i think it's getting i mean we talk about this all the time like it's steadying more like basketball where i think the most you can hope for is to like have yourself in position to be competitive every every year and hopefully it works out uh because it it, the tournament is even it's not quite basketball but um it is very matchup based uh and can be hard to just like guarantee yourself a run so yeah i'm uh not gonna get like too too worried i i do think it's you know it's it's oh it's it's really tough that we didn't get to see last year's team make a true run at it because i think they would have won it i think they were the best team in the country
0: yeah.
1: um but you know it's it's still relatively early in the year uh and we've seen we've seen lacrosse teams peak at the right time not again unlike basketball so um Not to get too bummed i still think this is like pretty solidly like a top seven or eight team so Hopefully, uh, hopefully, Destro gets them going in the right direction here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but having those two games like close to back to back is is difficult.
0: Yeah, and like you think too, like this is obviously just a different type of schedule um, than as you would normally face in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you get two games against Notre Dame. Um, you get uh, the one bad part. I think really is that we had so many home games, um, and if you have so many home games and yet can't really. Like if you can't get it done with this many home games, it's a bad time. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, that,
0: Army just the is, we're, yeah we're just like snake bitten against Army. We faced Virginia twice as well um, this season, so like we ha- we have so many shots at these good teams. But like SU could could lose four or five games this year and still be a top five to seven team, and and that just again because like the structure of the schedule this year, I, I think that you know I, I I don't want to extrapolate out what happens this year uh, for everything. I think you can where you can extrapolate out what's going on with Desco and what's going on with the program is just that like, there are certain things that have been consistent issues face being one of them more often than not um, in recent years. And again, like last year being lost to us, like we'll never know what that, I mean, we can joke about what that was and, 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 and national title that, you know, SU was probably going to win, but like without that now, Desco's kind of legacy and his legacy in the last you know decade, has a real like hole in it that isn't even his fault um and i think you know everyone forgets about that if they win a championship this year or next year or the year after at least get back to the final four um but the pressure is going to keep mounting here um and I, i don't think su makes a move but the pressure will keep mounting um if you don't get yourself back into you know memorial day weekend shape
1: yeah i think you just need to look like a, a team that can compete for a final four every year and mm-hmm. if you do that more often than not like you're going to have things go the right way at some point point. and obviously like uh, you know i i'm only half joking like i really think it would have been last year i thought that team was locked in Same. um at, when when things were canceled um and it's just a totally different conversation if he wins in 2020 uh and unfortunately it, it that won't that didn't work out I, I also don't think like there are people who complain about desco um obviously like it's an interesting comparison to make between the Destor situation and the Beheim situation, which are similar and different in like so many ways. Um, but I, I don't sense that like institutionally there's a lot of push for like Destor needs to ch- radically change a bunch of stuff. I think I think he's probably pretty well locked in when it comes to like uh, Wild Hack and everyone else making decisions. So uh, I, I'm not super worried about him not getting his fair shake.
0: Yeah, I, know, I, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, Dan, anything else before we depart today?
1: Uh, the Mets have just taken uh, it looks like a two nothing lead with uh, bases loaded in the top of the fourth, and the Phillies making a pitching change. So uh, things are are off to a very Mets opening day start.
0: Undefeated Phillies.
1: I didn't see three and zero undefeated first place Phillies. Yes.
0: Hopefully not for long.
1: Yes, I will. I will love to be one and zero over the three and one Phillies in this <laughs> in this very dumb. Uh, uh looking first uh week of the season thank you nationals again um we should just can't the nationals just shouldn't play this year i think
0: i mean i think the nationals should give back the championship from and the move back to Europe. montreal move, move back to montreal get give that to the people of montreal um, mm. it's, it, it's only fair um because honestly i'd be fine with losing to the expos like that's better the, i just don't want to lose the nats the trophy should
1: live in UP, UP's home and i don't know where U <laughs> P lives i assume he lives in a, a hobbit-esque side of a hill somewhere um, in rural uh Quebec, but um that's where the championship should be.
0: I I yeah I, I do feel like um the the Nats should be forced uh to play a like ten straight games in, in Quebec but like only in but the only way you're allowed in is if you're an expos former expo season ticket holder um so that you can heckle the team the entire time.
1: In just like really horrible and French insults.
0: Yeah, just yeah only French insults. It'll be pretty great. <laughs>
1: Hey, we fit the Nationals. Yay, yay for us. <laughs> Finally, they're watchable. Sorry, Brett
0: Kavanaugh. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train Hins and Absolute Podcast. Great reviews. Subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And go go Orange.